0: Well, good morning again, and uh, we're looking at Matthew 11, and um, I'm going to warn you, it's going to be quite long today, so are you ready? Its seatbelts on. If you've got a pen and paper, you might need it. It might help you stop drip- dropping off, <laughs> uh, but let's get going. Okay, so um, you probably, you might not have seen this, but you might have heard of something called the Undercover Boss. Anyone heard of that? heard of it it's a tv program got a couple of people nodding some people shaking their heads okay some enthusiastically nodding and in this in this uh program basically a high level executive or a or the owner of the company goes in secret disguise and basically takes a job at the very lowest part of the company so they create a little backstory and they kind of disguise them a bit. And they spend a week just looking at how things run so they can see what it's like for their employees and they can see, oh, this doesn't work, and they can make these changes. And then at the end of the week, they kind of, the big reveal, oh, hi, I'm the boss after all, ha, ha, ha. And um, those that, like, the bosses observed working really well, they kind of get rewarded and some changes are made. And you can imagine those that perhaps weren't the best are a bit shame-faced or even get the sack at this point. Now, with Jesus uh, coming to earth, sort of an undercover boss Uh, but the difference is that Jesus didn't intentionally disguise himself but he expected people to recognize him and know who he was and if they were uncertain he was telling them basically as directly as he could and he kept saying those that have ears to hear Hear what I'm saying. Those who have eyes to see, see me. Kind of. So, in other words, if if you're really looking and listening, it's going to be really obvious. Now, I ha- first heard about Jesus as a child, and you might have a similar experience to me. Uh, There was a a Land Rover, I mean it's a safeguarding nightmare, but there was a Land Rover that would come round and loads of kids on our state would pile into the back of said Land Rover, be driven to a hall... And were bundled into this hall where they experienced this thing called Sunday school, where you would um, sing songs, there'd be like a flannel story, Uh, you'd do little quizzes, you'd get a Mars bar if you'd done your homework, which I did every week and um, brilliant, really. My parents thought it was the best thing ever, like childcare on a Sunday afternoon, and then they come back with a colouring sheet and obsessively colour it in order to get a Mars bar the next week. Now, so, when I was an early teen, the idea of baptism came up, and I thought, well, yeah, because I know the key rules. I know... Jesus was God. I know Jesus died on the cross for me. Um, And that means he's taken away my sin and I will go to heaven. And I thought, yeah, I am in. That is a great deal here. And I don't need to do anything because he's done it all. And so I did that. And then I got into my teenage years. And in my teenage years, uh you know church comes a bit boring doesn't it you know we all know this so I sort of went off and did my own things and uh drifted a little bit and it wasn't till later in my life that I started to understand that I didn't really have an understanding of what it was to really follow Jesus I hadn't really grasped this So I don't know about you, what you think about Jesus. You might be in my camp from the early days of thinking, well, I know the truth and I'm I'm a Christian. I can call myself a Christian today. You might be in the camp that thinks, well, you know, I'm not sure about Jesus. I think maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he was a good teacher. Maybe he was kind, had some good things to say, but, you know, I'm not really sure. You might be in a camp that says, oh, I'm not even sure if he actually existed, because, you know, what evidence is there for that? A third of our planet claim to be Christian. Interesting, isn't it? And I would say, as a subclause, some of those claim to have a relationship with Jesus and experience his spirit, and some of them claim to be followers. Of Jesus or followers of the way or we might have red letter bibles or you know there's always nuances within that isn't there what it means to be a Christian as in I'm born in a Christian country what it means to be a Christian as in I've decided I understand who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian and I've chosen to follow Jesus so we're going to look at the passage that we just read today and the passage describes the importance of knowing who Jesus is, Because if Jesus' claims are true, then there is a decision to be made. You can't just think. you cannot be left thinking he was a good person, quite like some of the stuff he said, but that'll do me nicely. You all right, guys? So let's look at our, uh, if you've got your Bible, we're going to look at 11, chapter 1. There's been lots of Old Testament today, so I hope you're ready. <laughs> okay, chapter 1 says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Now, first 1 starts with after, doesn't it? After Jesus had finished teaching, it's the conclusion of what Jez was covering last week. So if you didn't watch that, you need to go and watch that. It's this Last week was Jesus, we call it second block of teaching, because Matthew is arranged by five lots of teaching, okay? So block one is something you might have heard of uh, when he says the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Yep. Heard of that? Yeah, not. Next, I like to include you. Block two last week, and block three will come in chapter 13. And there's five of those. Matthew, sometimes called the teacher's gospel, or a manual for discipleship, or or apprenticeship, we might say in today's language, to Jesus. It's a comprehensive account of Jesus. It was really favored by the very first church leaders. If you think about Antioch, where they were first called Christian, very popular. Matthew's gospel. When they arranged the New Testament, where is Matthew? At the beginning, because it was considered that's the one, that's the main one we want to be following. And it's probably because you've got such massive amounts of Jesus' teaching. Do you remember when Jez he showed us it. And he showed us it was almost entirely red. That is, the red letter Bible would be when Jesus' words are highlighted in red. And if you look at the passages that we're going through at the moment, they're almost entirely red. And that perhaps is why it is so, um, so favoured. It's a gospel that has a lot of Hebrew text. You might have heard people say, oh, that's a gospel written for Jews. ever heard that? Because it's so, there's so much Hebrew text in it. There's so much of it there. Um, When you look at it, you have phrases like this all the time, to fulfill what was spoken. And it's, it's sort of Everywhere you look, it's giving us genealogies, it's giving us prophecies, it's giving us fulfillments of teaching. It wants to leave the reader, whoever's studying this or teaching this, in no doubt that Jesus is the kingly figure that was expected. Okay? If you think about people listening to this gospel for the first time, they were primarily of a Hebrew background. They knew the Hebrew text. They knew it really well. So I'll give you an example of how rubbish we are. So this week, I was sitting in a prayer meeting, and Tony, we all know he can quote scripture. He says, oh, but God... He says, oh, of course, the most famous scripture of but God is. And I tell you, everyone in that prayer meeting started to panic. But oh, it's Tony, I must know the answer. But God, oh, which one is it? Oh, well, hey, we, we we're right, we passed. But my point is, we struggle with that. But the people who were first learning this did not struggle. Because by the time they were 11, They had memorized book one to five, or the Torah. They could quote Genesis, Exodus, yeah? First five books, by heart, by 11. Right, how many people know the first five books? Mm, Interesting, isn't it? Because they're, they're in a society, an oral society, that that memorizes our education system isn't even close to that if you go perhaps more into the middle east and you go to their more education system you'll find memorization is still quite key actually but ours we're not so good at that we're very lazy very lazy people it's probably why i'm so rubbish at languages as well we're very lazy Okay, but they would have memorized it. And then if you were 11, you might go and work for family business. But if you're quite clever, you might go on. And guess what you're learning next? The rest of it. So imagine now you're sitting, you've got that breadth. Imagine coming to today, to our passage, and you've memorized the whole of the hebrew bible by heart it's going to be very different i'm going to guide you through today because like you i'm quite lazy but we'll get there now Here we have, let's skip on then. So verse two to six, we have John the Baptist next. It says, when John, John the Baptist, he's the kind of wild and free and radical, and he's out in the desert, Who was in prison. Remember, he's in prison because he's spoken out against Herod, not Herod when Jesus was born, but his son. And he said, it's, you know, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. John is powerful. Just think, I was just thinking about John, how, um, how wild he is, how free he is, how direct he is. And everyone he's speaking to is repenting and getting baptized. But when he does it to Herod, Herod isn't repenting or getting baptized. He's straight in prison. What a shock that must have been. When, he, when John, who was in prison, heard the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, it might be quite odd, this, because when you think of John the Baptist, I think of someone who is pretty certain they know who Jesus is. Because at the baptism, John says pretty much, you know, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He he says, God told me the one who the Spirit rested on was the one. But here he's saying, are you the one that was to come? So why is he saying this? Mm. I reckon so. Because John is in prison. Now, we all know that when, we, uh, when things are going well for us, it's very easy, isn't it, to go, oh, I'm just following Jesus. Yeah, I'm just trusting him for every bit of my life. He's just done this. He's so amazing. Let me come in, worship Jesus. I can do anything. But when life's not going well, it's tough, isn't it? Because suddenly we've got some opposition. Suddenly our lives not going so great. Suddenly that thing, that career we wanted, that job, that partner, that financial change you want, it hasn't happened. And in those moments, we need a bit of reassurance. We need a good Christian friend who's going to come alongside us and they're, they're going to draw alongside us. They're going to say, keep trusting Jesus. Yes, this is rubbish. I don't want to belittle this or say this is okay or, you know, you lack faith. I don't want to put you down. I'm just going to tell you, keep trust in Jesus. He is faithful. This is not the end of your story. And I think Jesus uh, responds in quite a similar way. He doesn't say, John, I cannot believe you've said that. You silly, silly man. No. What does he say? So verse 4, and this is the bit where it gets exciting. He says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now in this, uh, John is re- Jesus is reassuring John and he's inviting John. Remember, John knows it all. He's not just the person who got to age 11. He's not even the person that got to like 16, 17 and knows the whole of the scriptures. He is the one that has become a disciple of someone else and has now got his own disciples. He is an expert in the Hebrew scriptures. And so when Jesus says this to him, ping, 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 ping. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you what I mean by this. Uh, oh, what's that? Oh, okay. That's all right. I want... Uh, no. This one. Okay. There we go. Oh, ruined it now. <laughs> Never mind, Hannah. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So, I might... Two people have a conversation, Jenny and Johnny. Uh, Jenny says to Johnny... Uh, does Jim like Jane? Okay. And Johnny says, well, his fleece is white as snow. Oh, you were laughing. But why are you laughing? Is it yes or no? Some people don't know. Can anyone work it out? Does Jim like Jane? Yes or no? Who thinks it's yes? <laughs> Paula, do you know what this is? No? Yes, nursery rhyme. Which one? Oh, Mary. Oh, yeah, Mary. And how does that rhyme go? Okay, so now we're going to ask you again, does Jim like Jane? (laughs) Oh, do you know, I did this with Hannah, she got it like that. Okay, in the nursery rhyme it says, Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, that sheep was sure to go. Does Jim like Jane? Well, his fleece is white as snow. Everywhere that she goes, he's going to go. Oh, dear. Oh, I thought it was so good. It's totally real. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I was trying to pick something you would naturally know. Everybody who doesn't know, everyone knows this nursery rhyme, huh? <laughs> so much more illustration. Okay, so John, in a similar way. <laughs> oh, dear. What's this? It doesn't work. It never works, Hannah. There we go. There it is. Fleece right white as night. There you go. Right. So Jesus says, go and do this. And each one of these is a part of a verse that's a part of a paragraph, okay? Each is a part of a, ver- of a verse that's part of a paragraph. Like, "Fleece's is white of snow is part of a nursery rhyme. So you need the whole of it to understand what the answer is. Here we go. So, what happens? Number one, we get... Oh, what am I doing? we get this one and in the middle in verse five you'll see eyes of the blind will be opened ears of the death unstopped the lame will leap like a deer john's gonna be thinking of this verse he's not only been thinking of this verse but because he's memorized it he's been thinking of the whole chapter next one this one proclaim good news to the poor Ping, John's mind's going. Oh, yeah, that's from Isaiah 61. Oh, and I know the rest of that. I remember John's sitting in prison, so what else he got to do? Not much, really, other than go through this. Then he says this, but your dead will live. Ping, his mind's going again, Isaiah 26. Next one, ping, again, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. So, gone ping, 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 ping. A bit like when you hear part of something, you think of the rest. And here he is. So, let's go back to the first one. John is yes. Uh, Jesus, sorry. Jesus is yes, giving John the passages that point to him to say, the one who's to come does all these things. But what else is he doing? If you look in that, you will also see that he is encouraging John to be brave, to be not in fear, to know that his God will come. Jesus is telling John more in that dungeon, in these few little words, than we first thought. He's given him all these passages that speak of who Jesus is, And to reassure John, don't fear men, keep fearing God, don't give up, keep believing. I am coming, the one is coming, it is happening now. And then he ends with, blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. And what is Jesus wanting John to know here? See if I can find it. He'd be thinking of these two passages. They're quite big. The first one begins with, do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He's reminding him again, don't be fearful. Then he goes on, the stone that causes people to stumble and the rock that makes them fall. He's saying, I... And And the next one, in chapter 8, he talks about the stone in Zion being laid. So in these two, Jesus is saying, I'm the stone, I'm the cornerstone. The one who relies on me will not have to fear. Now, of course, for us, as New Testament Christians, we naturally think of um, Peter's letter in chapter two, when he talks about living stones. And in there, he quotes it. The one who trusts in him, it said, relied, is never put to shame, never stricken with panic before God. But in the bottom, he says, they stumble because they disobey the message. Peter's really clear what it is to stumble over the stone is to not believe who Jesus says he is. That is the message. So Jesus, in a few words, is giving proof to John. He's giving him evidence. He's reassuring him, don't be afraid. And he's giving him that invitation again, believe in me. And as the disciples go, they're off now. They've taken that message, and that's what John's going to be thinking about. He turns to the crowd with a really similar message. So let's look at verse 7 next. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? Now, Jesus is using that rhetorical question. He's not getting them to answer. He's just like, well, what on earth were you up to? Why did you go out? Why? He says, a reed? Well, if you think of a reed, it bends easily, doesn't it? He's saying, did you go out to see someone who just changes their mind? Who just, you know, one day thinks this, another day thinks that? Of course not. What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in palaces, like Herod. And we know what he's done to John and what he thinks of me. Then where did you go? Well, you went to see a prophet. And this is the one about whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Again, Jesus expects his crowd, even at a very low level, to be familiar with these passages. Because even if they hadn't gone on, perhaps in their learning, their education, to learn the whole of the Old Testament, they would have been really hot on Isaiah. He expects them to know what he's talking about. If you imagine, they are so oppressed, They are so broken, they are so downtrodden, they are waiting for the king to come. Well, Which passages are you going to be memorizing? Just like when we are in trouble, we look for those passages, don't we, that reassure us, that give us comfort, that help us keep going in our faith. Well, the same would happen here, and you'd be looking for ones that speak of what God is going to do. He's going to bring his king And he says in Isaiah 40, which I think I've got, there it is. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. And it goes on in verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert the highway for your God. (laughs) It goes on, every valley will make blah, blah, blah. Verse five, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Jesus expects them to understand that John is the voice and the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed, but not how they expect it. Jesus will be revealed in his glory as he is lifted up, but not up high on a throne, but on a cross. He expects them also to think of Malachi. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before you, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. When we recall the passage, we recall the hope of a covenant. And then Jesus says this. Oh, He says, verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Seems really unfair and a bit sad at this point, doesn't it? There's no one greater than him so far. All the prophets that have come, he's probably the top dog. But in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that John has been proclaiming is near. He's the least. He's lower than the lowest in the kingdom. It just seems so wrong. How on earth can this be true how can anyone be in the kingdom if john is not in the kingdom i mean you couldn't get any more more religiously extreme than this man so how can he not be in the kingdom And he goes on, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. From John, this new kingdom is being established. John's very clear, I'm not the king. Everything so far has been leading to this pinnacle point in history. Every prophecy, every testimony, everything in the, in the Hebrew scriptures has been pointing to this pinnacle moment, the time of Elijah. And John's not Elijah, he's like Elijah. He mirrors Elijah, he wears the same clothes that Elijah um, wore. He has the spirit of God upon him, like Elijah. And he says, I'm not the king, though. I'm not the one to come. I'm not the one that's going to bring justice and righteous and flourishing and liberation from what we're suffering. And Jesus says, if you're willing to accept what John said, think about what John's been saying about me. But what about those verses? It's a bit curious, and we'll just do it as a side. But these verses... In verse 12, what do you think about them? The kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, two ideas. Firstly, the kingdom is pressing forward. Every time someone's healed, every time someone rises from the dead, every time anyone's liberated from something, the kingdom of heaven is is advancing, but the forces of earth are attacking it. And this could be a reference to John in prison or what the disciples will experience. The other one, it could be that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully and forceful people are seizing it. It could be a picture of people grabbing the kingdom as hard as they can and rushing into it. They could be hungrily grabbing it. Or it could be a quote to this. Look at verse 13. It talks about the one who breaks open, and that can be a violent breaking. The way the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Remember, Jesus called himself the gate. Here it is. And the way that he'll break through is going to be on the cross. Either way, Jesus challenging the crowd, just like John, what will you conclude about me? Let's look at 16 to 19. Right, we must be quicker. I've been talking way too long. How long am we going now? <laughs> Not long enough. Thank you, Jess. Such a sweet man. Um, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We prayed the pipe for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and did not mourn. mourn for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon, and the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds." Jesus says, you're a bit like children who get in a strop when someone won't play the the game that they want to play. You ever seen that? They get a real strop about it. But I want to play this game. And the other one goes, oh, I want to play this game. And then they just fight. He says, but you'll see the wisdom of God. He says, why are you flocking to John? You know that it's not working right now. You know that you guys need justice and liberation. You know you need peace. You know you need healing. You know you need God's king to come. You know all this. And then finally, after that, he lists a load of towns, which is quite a disturbing passage to read. In these towns, they've seen what Jesus can do. They've seen the evidence for who he is and yet they've rejected him. And he draws attention to cities that they consider worthy of condemnation for their wicked deeds. He says, if these guys had seen what you've seen, they'd have repented by now and accepted me and be following me. But you... The judgment day that you are praying comes on your enemies. Will it be better for them than you? It'll be more bearable for them. It's hard to swallow, isn't it? That the entrance to the kingdom of God, to his peace, to his rule, to his reign, to his justice, to his mercy, to his forgiveness, to his faithfulness to his kingdom that will last forever, to a new heaven and a new earth, rests on one thing, what you think of Jesus. And that's a really unpalatable pill today, and it has always been. But you can't be a part of the kingdom without kneeling to the king. Like, we live in democracy, and we we choose who we want to rule, don't we? We say, well, we'll elect this prime minister. If we don't like him or her, we'll get rid of them. We'll get a new one in. But a kingdom doesn't work like that. A kingdom has a king. And you can choose to be part of the kingdom or not. But if you want to be part of the kingdom, you must accept the king. There's no other choice, is there? That is just the way it is. You can be the most extreme religious person, the kindest of all human beings. And like John, you can know your Bible upside down and back to front. But the question is, what do you think? about the king. We might think he's a good prophet or a teacher or a kind man, a miracle worker or a way to God. But Jesus was super clear and he doesn't give Christians an option in this. He said, I am the way to God. And that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Jesus said really clearly, no one comes to the Father except by me. That's it. And no one's no one. Doesn't sit comfortably with us. But that's it. In John's Gospel, we have that conversation between the very religious leader and Jesus. He wants to know about how you get in the kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom Jesus goes on to explain to the religious leader, chatting about the kingdom, that he'll be lifted up, speaking about the crucifixion, and all who trust in him will gain the life they've been hoping for in the kingdom of God. And he reassures the man very clearly, God loves the world. He doesn't come to condemn, but to save. He wants to give life, and in all its fullness. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And it is super clear. So perhaps today you're like John, questioning. Perhaps you've had a difficult time. Or you're in that difficult time and your face wobbling. Well, I think Jesus wants to reassure you today. He wants to remind you, remember who I am come follow me. Perhaps you feel like the kingdom has been overrun by the enemy, that violence that Jesus spoke about is feeling a bit too strong. Or perhaps you're with the crowds, you've been around Christians and church, but you're not ready yet to sign up for Jesus, because it's more than just, yeah, I think that's true. But it's a commitment to say, I want to be an apprentice to Jesus. My life is his. When I finally understood about Jesus, I literally was there and I said, God, you've had a bit of me in the past. Now you get it all. I really understood all was all. Jesus makes it clear that I'm sure isn't an option you can tick. So let's pray. You might want to be recommitting yourself to following Jesus. Or you might well be committing to follow Jesus for the very first time. And I'm going to pray a prayer of acknowledging who Jesus is. That he died on the cross. That I'm sorry for the way I've acted towards him and other human beings. And then finally, that today I choose to follow you. So let's pray together. Jesus, I believe you are King of the whole earth. I believe you died on the cross for me to give eternal life. I'm sorry for my wrongdoings, my actions towards my fellow humans and the planet. I'm sorry I've rejected you in the past. Today I choose to follow you, to be your apprentice to trust you with my life, even in the tough times, even when I feel the force of oppression. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and help me to live for you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, perhaps the first time, I've got New Testaments. I'd love to chat to you afterwards, or Jez would will be around, just come find us.